Good afternoon, this is Dr. Daniel J. Guerra, and this is Authentic Biochemistry Podcast. I'm in the Inland Pacific Northwest of the USA, and today is the 13th of July, 2022, which I'm, which makes it a Wednesday. So we made it to Wednesday. Now, we've been talking about membrane biochemistry for the last uh, 16 lectures and what I want to do is focus in on a disease state that is linked to the interaction of transcriptional patterns and a deficiency in a specific enzyme. And the transcriptional factors you'll see ultimately appear to be linked to an epigenetic alteration of gene expression. Now, this is somewhat theoretical because the publications on whether or not there is a direct association um, I haven't been able to find. But the literature, when you look at it in the aggregate, particularly when there's a specific inhibitor of histone deacetylase being used, so-called valproic acid, may suggest that an inborn error of metabolism um, in sphingomyelin degradation um, could be epigenetically controlled. So that's where we're going to head. I, and as always, I'm, I'm not going to uh, apologize for not getting far enough along to finish the story, but I'm going to try to really move fast today. Okay, so I want to first take you back to a paper published in 2007. This is in BBRC, that's Biochem Biophys Research Communications. And back then, this disease was called Nyman Pick. And there's various forms of Nyman Pick. And the one that was being looked at in this paper was Nyman Pick type C. And it's a terribly uh, progressive neurodegenerative disease. And it leads to premature death. And so it's usually found in very young children. It's essentially an inborn error of metabolism. And it is a classical lipid storage disorder. In fact, back when this paper was published, it was believed to be a storage disorder disease directly linked somehow to cholesterol metabolism. And the lack of self-renewal ability of neuronal cells is a major phenotype of the Nyman pick type C. You look at gene transcription factors in multiple cellular environments, you can determine that there are, there are multiple differentiation pathways for neuronal stem cells. Very similar when you look at any uh, stem cell depending on which transcription factors are expressed. Think back to the T lymphocyte discussions, right? Depending on which transcription factors are expressed, you're going to run down into a different lineage and you're going to ultimately get to a differentiation of specific cell type. Neuronal differentiation is very similar as are many, many cells which have a plasticity to them associated with the possibility of multivalence. By valence here, just, let's just leave it at alterations in gene expression. Obviously, because of the structural changes in the polypeptide composition of cells after transcription translation, as modified by that program, you're going to end up with cells with different 
functions. Right? And ultimately, that's actually what occurs. So <clears throat> it's been known for, oh, probably two decades that a great deal of neuronal differentiation coming from neuronal stem cells involves chromatin modification that includes epigenetic phenomena, in particular, histone acetylation, deacetylation. In fact, the differentiation of neuronal stem cells can be inhibited by histone deacetylation. Okay. So if you, if you inhibit histone deacetylation, the chromatin will become more acetylated and therefore you'll get actually an increase in that differentiation. And that's because more gene expression occurs. So that means that any level of acetylation of the nucleosomal histones is going to likely be associated with this plasticity during neural stem cell differentiation. And there are two enzymes that are normally discussed. Uh, histone acetyltransferase, which takes acetyl-CoA and adds the acetate, usually to a lysine residue on specific histones, usually H3. And then there's histone deacetylases or HDACs. And remember those have another name um, within a classification and those are called sirtuins. We talked a lot about those uh, in the last several months. So the histone acetyltransferases are linked to this acetylation and therefore chromatin relaxation and what they call decompaction, or they called it back in 2007. And of course, I've been telling you that what that leads to then is euchromatin and allows for transcription factors and of course RNA polymerase to move in and allow for nation transcription. So this is kind of a global phenomenon. You have an acetylated uh, chromatin complex. It's more likely to be more active in terms of transcription. Now, there, of course, is specificity too at particular uh, usually enhancer elements, but also uh, spice junction sites for the expression of genes. Now, what about the deacetylases? Well, there are HDAC1 and HDAC2 that also work with these co-repressors. And I mentioned one of the co-repressors last time. That was the REST protein. And remember, REST is the repressor element one. And that was what we were dealing with in, in that paper published. Um, I think that might have been in 2021. Yeah. So let me go back and mention it very quickly. Uh, okay, so the RE1 silencing transcription factor, which is known as REST, is a repressor. And it binds to a 21 base pair consensus sequence. And that's, of course, the repressor element, right? And the protein itself, REST, will recruit many of those chromatin retailering proteins that end up causing gene expression in, in the ultimate processing. But when REST binds to these proteins, and then those proteins in the REST complex bind to that 21 base pair consensus sequence, they repress transcription, okay? So that 
keep that in mind. So now you understand that the histone deacetylases are one class of proteins that becomes recruited by the rest protein, therefore repressing nation to transcription because of this deacetylation, generating then heterochromatin, which is a collapsed or compacted chromatin, and less likely to be received by transcription factors in RNA polymerase. So I told you that this protein rest blocks neuronal differentiation, and it does so, so through a repression of transcription of many of the genes which allow for neuronal um, differentiation. Those are going to be specific genes that are going to be linked to um, either cell division or changes in transcription factor patterns or both. Okay, so when you have an imbalance of histone acetylation, often what you find is that you get a progression of cancer, particularly newer, particularly uh, neuroblastomas. You also have an effect on neurodegeneration. So it appears that acetylation of the histones, which is itself an epigenetic uh, signature, is going to control some forms of cancer and some forms of neurodegeneration. So there's been a lot of interest in this. So there are several inhibitors of HDAC that have been described. One of them is valproic acid, and that's what I'm going to key in on on, on this particular episode. Now, valproic acid has a long history in biomedicine. It used to be used and still sometimes is in, as an anti-epileptic. And it also has been, um, diag uh, been used for mood stabilization. So valproic acid or VPA also has been used to, to suppress the progression of ALS. And although the inhibitor VPA does modulate neuronal differentiation of these neuronal stem cells, and that's considered to be a therapeutic effect. There are a lot of things that valproic acid is uh, responsible for, which are not therapeutic, but which are actually deleterious to various systems. Okay. So we have, I'm going to try to bring that up too. So the 2007 paper wanted to know if neuronal differentiation homeostasis starting with neural stem cells could be enhanced just by adding VPA because the Neiman pick type uh, C deficiency that was being then studied in a mouse model appeared to be associated with histone deacetylation, histone acetylation as uh, mediating that what appeared to be increase in cholesterol associated as a lipid storage disorder disease. Now the main lipid that actually accumulates in Neiman pick that is the true uh, molecular phenotype for the disease, the pathophenotype is the accumulation of sphingomyelin because as it turns out, the Neiman pick diseases are not really cholesterol metabolic inborn errors of metabolism. Although you do find a buildup of cholesterol, it's actually the fact that they are acid sphingomyelinase deficiencies. Okay. 
Remember, the sphingomyelinase enzyme will take sphingomyelin and um, the, pro the, the enzymatic products of that uh, will be phosphorylcholine and ceramide. Right. And you know that ceramide, we just talked about it a great deal, has a lot of potent effects on the cell, along with being a membrane lipid raft, major molecular component, okay. as is cholesterol. Right. Okay. Now, let's move forward a little bit. That's 2007. So by the time um, I was looking at the more current papers, that, which was starting in about 2008, 2009, and proceeding forward all the way till today, the name of that disease, Neiman Pick, has been converted by the biomedical classification system uh, uh, as a, an acid sphingomyelinase deficiency, okay? So it's called ASMD, right? ASMD is the actual new name for Neiman Pick. Now, First of all, Nyman Pick was rare. Of course, so all the astrosphingomyelinases are rare. They're rare, they're progressive genetic disorders. And the um, protein product that is deficient in this disease, is, well, as the name suggests, is the astrosphingomyelinase. I just told you what that does is break down sphingomyelin to ceramide and phosphorylcholine. So, what the end result is sphingomyelin and other lipids accumulate. Now, acid sphingomyelinase deficiency itself is variable, even in diseased patients. It's variable in the age of onset, and therefore it's associated with different symptoms and severities. In fact, sometimes you have members of the same family, because this is an inborn area of metabolism, can be inherited. You have certain members of the same family that can have widely different phenotypes. So the disorder is a spectrum of disease, which is always interesting to a biochemist, because if you're having partial deficiencies of an enzyme, that means you're, you're able to titrate the different metabolic routes leading to that uh, deficiency, and then the metabolic routes leading away from it in more detail, right? By titrate, I mean, you're able to selectively isolate what could be the potential reason for the different phenotypes because you're going to get different metabolic sequelae based on different deficiency levels of that enzyme. And remember, deficiency can also mean a deficiency in a given cell type, right? not just deficiency in terms of the molar concentration of the polypeptide, right? And that's really important to keep in mind. So when you think about the most severe type of um, this ASMD, in fact, it's fatal and it's neurodegenerative and it usually presents in early infancy. That's going to be the old name for it, the Nyman-Pick-A. The Nyman Pick disease type A. But at the mild end, where affected individuals might only have very minimal neurological symptoms, that's called, uh, and, and sometimes they can survive well into adulthood, even with those symptoms. That's Nyman Pick disease type B. And then there are intermediate forms of disorder. Okay. 
All of them seem to have mutations in the sphingomyelinase uh, gene, and that gene is called SMPD1. And of course, this disease is going to be inherited as an autosomal recessive. So I told you about A and B. There are actually three Nyman Pick diseases. And you already know because I mentioned C, right? And the mouse model that was being looked at in 2007 was the C model. Now, they, all, those, all those different diseases, the Nyman Picks, ABC, were grouped together because they gave, diff, they gave similar symptoms, even though they showed different pathophenotypes. And I said that the Nyman Pick diseases A and B are due to mutations in the Schmingomyelase gene. And that basically means you get a deficiency in the activity of the enzyme. The Nyman-Pick disease type C is due to, a, due to a mutation in one of two different genes. And it doesn't seem to involve a deficiency in an enzyme. So that's, so that's therefore, it's going to be far more nuanced, right? So the Nyman-Pick disease type C may well be a separate disorder entirely. So C is still classified under a rare disease database. And you can look at that database. It's called NORD. Okay. But nevertheless, ASMD is known as an acid sphingomyelase deficient Nyman-Pick disease. And those two groups I just told you about, the neuropathic and the non-neuropathic, that would be A and B respectively, um, do involve damaging neurons. The type A causes a severe neurodegenerative disease during infancy, while B is a much more subtle neurologic disease, which can lead into past puberty into young adulthood. Right? But they both seem to be associated with the acid sphingomyelinase disorder. So I want, want to keep on emphasizing that. So when you want to look at the effect of valproic acid, which is a deacetylase inhibitor, which the result will be when you add the inhibitor, you get more acetylation, therefore more gene expression. And this is being used for the Nyman-Pick disease type C, okay? You want to know what are the genes which may be affected by the acetylone that is left intact when you inhibit the deacetylase, right? And that's what valproic acid is supposed to do. So this 2007 paper looked at the REST gene. I already mentioned that to you. A manganese superoxide dismutase, and this one seems to be very significant for type C, Neiman pig. Now, why is that? Because without the manganese superoxide dismutase, you're going to have a deficiency in removal of reactive oxygen. So the removal of reactive oxygen will allow for, if you remove it sufficiently and efficiently, you're not going to get a lot of damaged DNA, RNA, polypeptide, or membrane. If you, if you do not, and you have a tremendous uh, deficiency in the manganese superoxide dismutase, what will that mean? It will mean there'll be a lot of reactive oxygen, particularly superoxide. Superoxide, you know, is mutable to different uh, reactive oxygen species, such as hydroxyl anion. 
and even hydrogen peroxide, all of which are damaging to cells. But hydroxyl anion in particular is very lethal to cells. And so manganese superoxide was one of the um, genes they wanted to look at whether or not it was altered by valproic acid. This was all done using RT-PCR. So they had primers for manganese superoxide dismutase for the REST gene, and then for a couple of other ones, the neuron D gene, which is involved in neurogenesis and neuronal differentiation, as well as BDNF. And of course, that's brain-derived neurotrophic factor. And then the uh, cytoskeletal protein, actin, also seemed to be associated. Now, actin, particularly beta-actin, in this particular study was used to quantitate uh, the RT-PCR. So they were expecting the beta-actin not to change over time. Okay. So they also looked at the HMG coli reductase, by the way, because, of course, that is the rate-limiting step for cholesterologenesis, right? And they're looking to see if this is a cholesterol-metabolizing disease. This is nematic type C. Again, going back to the 2007 um, nomenclature, right? So what they found was pretty interesting. Um, I'm going to check my time here because I don't, definitely don't want to go over today. Oh, we're doing fine. Okay. The proic acid promoted neuronal differentiation of the neural stem cells when they used Nyman pig type C animals, but it didn't promote the differentiation of astrocytes. Okay, so that's kind of interesting. So in other words, the glial cell population was not affected. So what they found was there were, there were huge differences in neuronal differentiation between the wild type and the Nyman pig C. And they looked at the immunoreactivity of the beta-3 tubulin in differentiated neurons from these stem cells in the NPC uh, mice, either NPC positive or NPC with a double knockout. Okay? And they showed that when you had NPC null mice, you had lower levels of differentiation into neurons than when you had NPC uh, with with the complete locus intact, okay? And they said that the percent of beta-3 tubulin-positive cells was 41% of the neuronal stem cells in the wild-type cells, while it was only about 12% from the Nyman-Pick mice. So this is important because tubulin, of course, isn't going to be involved in the initial stages of chromatin condensation. So neuronal differentiation of the neuronal stem cells from heterozygous mice was similar to that seen in wild type. So this, again, points to an autosomal recessive, right? So they assessed whether or not the neuronal stem cells would differentiate into neurons in a concentration-dependent manner, adding increasing amounts of valproic acid between 0 0.25 to 1 millimolar. And... So they did this, it was a seven-day experiment. And so what they found, the proportion of beta-3 tubulin-positive cells was increased in neuronal stem cells from the NPC1-deficient mice as dependent upon VPA, or valproic acid, concentration. Okay. Now, they did find that the neuronal stem cells did differentiate in astrocytes. 
And they determined this by, by looking at immunoreactivity of a gene called GFAP. So valproic acid seemed to suppress the differentiation of the astrocytes in those neuronal stem cell populations. From all of the NPC1 genotype mice in the presence or the absence of valproic acid. Okay. But there were no significant differences observed. So that whole process of differentiating astrocytes looks interesting, but it does, it's not enough of an interest that they followed it up. But they wanted to know whether or not VPA led to homeostasis of cellular cholesterol. So they looked at VPA-induced neuronal differentiation. And they saw that it didn't do, they did not have a statistical differentiation effect on astrocytes. Remember, I just told you that. But they detected abnormal astrocyte morphology from the NPC mice. And that normal astrocyte morphology seems to be associated with morphological changes in the astrocytes because of cholesterol metabolism. Okay. In fact, the accumulation of cholesterol in the cells. And, you, and they were detecting that by a staining with a, uh, a stain called philippin. This against 2007 technology. Before they were really ran, and they probably did a full cytometry on this. Um, so philippin staining um, is typically, of course, used for cholesterol accumulation. And what they found is differentiated cells of the neuronal stem cells from the NPC mice had strong expression of philippin. So that means they had a lot of cholesterol accumulation. And it was actually in a dose-dependent manner based on valproic acid. Would decrease the amounts of cholesterol as you increase valproic acid, which, as I told you at the very beginning, is a histone deacetylase inhibitor. Okay. So they also looked at HMG coi reductase, right? It's a rate-limiting enzyme for cholesterogenesis. And in the differentiated neuronal stem cells from the NPC mice, the RNA levels of HMG coi reductase was increased. Okay. But the RNA levels of the HMG coi reductase were downregulated in the presence of valproic acid. So it looks like that gene actually is affected by valproic acid which means that the, deacet the deacetylase being inhibited, which allows for a higher level of acetylation of histones, which means more gene expression. One of the genes that gets expressed at a higher level, okay, seems to be one that's normally in the repressed state because they're telling you that when they use valproic acid, it caused a decrease in HMG coli reductase. And you know the valproic acid inhibits the deacetylase. Yet the deacetylase is a component of the repressor system. Right? So it means that normally HMG coli reductase is expressed in the repressed state. And now valproic acid, which removes of the repressed state, and allows for more gene expression, actually causes a relative, and I'll use that word because they didn't say it in this paper, but that's, that's certainly what's going on, a relative decrease in the utilization of acetyl-CoA to synthesize cholesterol. Okay. 
Now, if it's not being used to synthesize cholesterol, where does acetyl-CoA go? Fatty acid synthesis. And fatty acid synthesis leads to complex lipid synthesis, including schwingolipids. Okay? Now, that's a very important point. <laughs> and you don't get that unless you're li- you don't get that from everyone, but I'm a lipid biochemist. I'm explaining that to you. Now, they weren't talking anything about this. Okay? They, they, were, they were just revealing the fact that when they use an inhibitor of the deacetylase, that they got a lower level of cholesterol in the cells and a lower level of the rate-limiting stuff for cholesterologenesis. That doesn't mean that the histone deacetylase is even controlling HMG coi reductase expression, right? It just means that in a repressed state, some genes are constitutively expressed. And I've talked about this many times in my lectures because you need housekeeping genes. What housekeeping genes do you need? You need to synthesize cholesterol. You also need to synthesize fatty acids though. Why is that? because you constantly need to make new membrane, even in cells that are not actively going to be um, in, in, in in an activated metabolic state. You always need to have membrane repair, but you also need to have membrane components like cholesterol and fatty acid if you're ready to prepare for cell division. And sometimes under stress, that's what cells do, right? So... Yeah, all of that is necessary for you to have in your mind. I don't know how, how much background you may have had for that, but now I'm telling you that's the process I want you to start thinking about. So I'm going to stop there because I'm already out of time, amazingly. I'm going to continue this, though, maybe even today, because I want you to get the Neiman pick ASDM. Dan Guerra saying bye for now. <laughs>